0: Hi friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed, my name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. So let's dig in and look at what we're going to be covering this week. First off, more for your street drug catalog. Here's a primer on Trank, or Zalzine. Second, how useful is the eFast really in blunt trauma when you know you're going to pan-scan anyways? after that, new West guidelines for blunt thoracic aortic injuries. Following that, we have the average ED doc isn't very good at guessing blood alcohol levels. Sorry, guys. And then lastly, we wrap up with a review of alcoholic hepatitis. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, though, uh, they're all good articles. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember that we never want money to be a barrier to better patient care. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, just reach out and we can help you out. Now, this is the audio version of the past week's summaries, which this week were brought to you by Doug Wallace, Katan Patel, Gabby Leonard, Rebecca White, Laura Murphy, and Clay Smith. Okay, let's skip over to the third article. Oh man, aortic injuries are scary. I mean, injury of any major artery is scary, honestly. I, you know what? I just watched a bullet train with Brad Pitt, and this guy got, gets cut with a sword really deeply through his shoulder, like a foot from his shoulder downward. And I just couldn't stop thinking about how much blood he should have lost from his subclavian arteries, and he kept walking around. But that's not relevant. Let's get back to the case and the article. What we're talking about is blunt thoracic aortic injuries. And most often, this is going to occur at the takeoff of the left subclavian artery. And obviously, this has high mortality rates. Let's look at some of the guidelines. There's a really nice publication, actually, really concise and very easy to read. Also, the authors were super honest about the shortcomings of this article and the guidelines that were presented in it. They identified which parts of the algorithm were weak which is pretty much all of it, and recommended molding this algorithm to your location and practices rather than trying to follow it as law. That's the best thing a guideline can do. Just guide you, not be strict walls. Now, the algorithm starts with screening. It recommends considering blunt thoracic aortic injuries in high energy mechanism cases, such as a high speed MBC or falls from height. How fast is high speed, and how high is scary high? They don't actually clarify, but assaults and falls from height should be pretty safe. To actually do the screening, a chest x-ray may show a wide mediastinum, hemothorax, and blunting of the aortic knob. But beware false negatives for chest x-rays. For this reason, they recommend screening with a CT. Now, a CTA of the chest has great sensitivity and near-perfect negative predictive values. You could also consider a transesophageal echocardiogram, but these are less likely to be accessible at most shops. Now, what do you do when you actually find one of these aortic injuries? Pulse control, impulse control as well, is really important. They recommend Esmolol to target a heart rate of less than 100 and a systolic blood pressure of less than 100 as well. This is in hopes of preventing the injury from worsening or rupturing by decreasing the stress that's put on it by the pumping heart. You can consider diltiazem or a vasodilator if there's no TBI or other contraindication, but pure vasodilators like nitroprusside are not recommended, you should avoid that. Grading, now grading of these injuries isn't gonna matter too much to you specifically, but it will be done by the surgeon or at least the radiologist. Still good to know. Now, grades one and two are low-grade injuries, and these are just going to be an intimal tear or an intramural hematoma. These still need impulse medication. You still want to lower the heart rate and the blood pressure, but they're not going to go for surgery right away. Now, grade three is a pseudoaneurysm, and grade four is a rupture. These are high-grade and need immediate surgery, as well as anti-impulse control. The recommendation is that most of these patients will be treated with endovascular therapy to reduce the chances of mortality and paraplegia. All of these post-surgical patients will need ICU admission for monitoring, so you could probably make that call early as well. In the ICU, it's going to be the goal of normal heart rate and blood pressure. In a spoonful, this was a quick primer on blunt thoracic aortic injuries and how to manage them. Mostly, it's to diagnose by CT and then impulse control until someone else admits the patient. And then we have the fourth article titled, Clinician Assessment of Blood Alcohol Levels Amongst Emergency Department Patients, out of the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. Now, this is, come on guys, this is a time-old ER pastime, guessing an inebriated patient's ETOH level. It's not uncommon to see intoxicated patients come through, oftentimes they just need to sleep it off. But how good are emergency physicians at guessing blood alcohol levels of their patients? Now, this was an adorable prospective study from a level 1 trauma center that included 243 participants. These participants were physicians, nurses, and medical students taking care of patients who had blood alcohol levels measured. And all these people had to guess what those levels would be. On average, the guesses were wrong by about 17 points, and typically guesses were too high. Now despite the differences in roles and levels of training as well as experience, there was no significant difference in the ability of different participants to guess the ETOH levels. So attendings, residents, nurses, and medical students were all about the same. It's almost like they're just guessing. Now accuracy wasn't correlated to patient age, gender, ethnicity, or insurance status either. How you got to the emergency department did matter though. Typically for walk-ins, those people were getting underestimated levels of blood alcohol. And for those arriving by ambulance, those were overestimated. Now, even 17% of the guesses were wrong when the ETOH level was negative and someone guessed that it was going to be at least positive. In a spoonful, now you've got kind of a benchmark to beat. Can you do better than the average of being 17 points off? So what did we learn today? Let's do a quick wrap up of all the articles. Then from the third article, like most aortic injuries, blunt trauma-associated aortic injuries need anti-impulse treatment to prevent worsening. Make the diagnosis by CT and then get your consultants on board. After that, the fourth article, where we saw that measuring the blood alcohol level of your patients is still useful because we kind of suck at guessing it and physicians tend to overestimate. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Unfortunately, if you're feeling like you missed out a little bit, you'd like to hear 250% more podcast, or just get the blog, then you'll have to come over and join us at the members feed. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and then save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.